to another episode of In the Pen, part of the Pitchless Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cal Nessler, joined as always by Jake Crumpler and Rick Graham. And I'd say we had an exciting first round of the postseason, and we did. There are some very fun games, but come on, we can get at least one game going to a game three. We have to have two straight days now of no baseball until we get it back on Saturday. But what we'll do is we'll recap. All of the action from the postseason so far, some exciting, exciting baseball, some exciting bullpen usage, and a lot of fun, a lot of fun for these past couple days. But guys, did you enjoy the first round of the the wild card series? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know it would it obviously would be nice to have a game tonight uh, instead of being stuck watching this horrible Thursday night football game. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a pretty fun wild card series. I love I like the you know the three game series is always makes makes for interesting um, you know gameplay and how how games are managed as we saw kind of in that Toronto game with you know Barrios getting the the quick hook for you know basically out of a panic move from John John Schneider. But um, yeah, I think the series were great. It was you know the atmosphere in Philly and Minnesota was electric. Those I think both those teams I know tough tough task this next series but I, I I like where both those teams are headed right now. Agreed. It was a uh, definitely a, a fun time to watch. I to be completely honest, I did not get a lot of chances to watch baseball a lot this year, and that sort of has carried over into the postseason because I was at work the whole time. All of those games were starting in the middle of my workday, so it was difficult to watch. Obviously, I'm one of those guys that sits at the desk and puts his phone up uh, a little bit hidden and just plays mm. the game, listens, listens on the AirPods, but it, it wasn't uh, an ideal time to watch, especially because this week for me at work has been absolutely crazy. So uh, it didn't really lend itself to taking time to, to watch some baseball games, but I'm excited that the postseason has, has proven me wrong super fast, um, which lets me know that we're, we're going to, have a lot of surprises throughout the whole thing and it's get, there's going to be unexpected twists and turns and i think we're set up for some pretty interesting division series um still not sure who i'm rooting for in every matchup except for the one versus the dodgers i know exactly who i'm rooting for <laughs> um but yeah it's uh i'm excited for the playoffs I, I think these wild card series rick mentioned it the the managing in these are different but i, I feel mm-hmm. like 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 they're called the wild card series, but when you think about like what the old wild card games were, where it was just one game go all out, like what? Yeah, there's so much left to luck. This is sort of I feel like it still carries the same vibe. While you you still have a three game series, it still has that same vibe where it's it's still sh- such a short series. Any team can win, but like as soon as that first team wins the first game, that second game is almost a formality at that point. I, I think only two teams have failed to move on to the next round after winning the first game in the wildcard series era. And I think that's just, I think we're just three seasons into that, right? Was that just 2020, yeah, 22 and 23? I think you're right. Cause I think yeah. 2021 was still the one game playoff, but yeah, yeah, it's, I definitely prefer it to the one game playoff. Uh, you know, as much as fun and drama as the one game playoff is, mm-hmm. it's more playoffs and in, it's more indicative of the season. You put all this work in to have it come down to one game. Not yeah. to mention the Yankees have had to play in what was it, three or four of those since I've been a fan of them, and uh, <laughs> or since it's been in a play. And I think I probably have more gray hairs now than I at least did when they first started those. And those were very high stress inducing, including yes, Rick, when your team may have beaten us in one of those games years ago. Mm, but, I, I uh, do remember. <laughs> yeah, whatever you know it happens but um 
yeah, a lot of exciting, a lot of postseason baseball, and we'll get to some of the managerial decisions. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, per se, just making one of the decisions. But before we do get into all of that, we do want to cover for the biggest news for relievers at this point. It's Felix Bautista. We were hoping the last couple shows that we would get him back in the postseason and what impact that would have on the Baltimore Orioles. Well, we now know for sure he will not be pitching for the rest of this postseason as well as next season. He will officially undergo Tommy John's surgery and miss the postseason and the 2024 season. Obviously, not too much to analyze in terms of fantasy for next year. It's He's gone. You're not going to draft him. We'll see what the Orioles do during the postseason or during the offseason to address the closer position. But for now... Any current concerns for Bautista long-term? How does this change your view of Baltimore in the postseason? We'll get to that in a little bit, but I guess what's your, any thoughts you guys have early on this uh, Bautista news? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it obviously sucks. Uh, it's just not being able to see him pitch next year, the best closer in baseball this season. Um, it's going to hurt. It's, you know, it, it's good to see, I guess, you know, it's nice that the Orioles were you know, they took care of him financially for the next two seasons. Um, so he doesn't have to worry about that. But yeah, well, hopefully he can come back, you know, some point in 2025 and be, you know, be the closer again. But I, I it does, it does wonder, you know, not just the playoffs, but next season, what I, you know, I'm guessing the Orioles might be in the market for someone like a, you know, like a Craig Kimbrell, some sort of stopgap, mm-hmm. you know, veteran closer, um, something to keep an eye on this free agency. Yeah, that, that'll definitely be a key storyline this offseason, at, at least for the Orioles, because clear, clear gap there, uh, between the value of Yenier Cano to Felix Bautista. Um, I'm not sure there's tons of options on the free agent market this offseason. So they may have a tough time finding somebody that obviously they won't find somebody that can exactly take his place, but it it will be difficult to find anybody. But the Orioles have proven themselves to be sort of bullpen maestros where they're able to turn relievers or former starters into pretty lockdown relievers. So I, I sort of trust them to either scrape the waiver wire or, or the scrap heap and, and find some guy that they can turn into a monster or just turn to any or Cano and hopefully get him back to his first half form. But yeah, super disappointing. I think this, like Callan said, we'll talk about the Orioles more, but this definitely is a big blow to them and their world series hopes, but definitely sucks for 2024. And that this actually makes it that we have back-to-back seasons where the previous season's number one closer We'll miss mm. the entire season because oh, wow. 2022, we saw Edwin Diaz be the best closer in baseball. He uh, did something to his knee in the WBC and he missed all of 2023. Same thing with Felix Bautista here after being the best reliever in 2023. Um, so, I guess that that begs the question, who do we think is going to be the number one reliever in 2024? Not in terms of rankings, but by the end of the season, obviously your rankings, you want the number one guy to be the number one reliever throughout the year. Uh, I'm sure Rick stresses about that all the time, but who who do we have our money on for being the, the best reliever in baseball in 2024 without Felix Bautista? I don't want to jinx it now. Um, whoever yeah, it is. <laughs> what do these two seasons have in common? Well, we've done a podcast uh, about relievers. So are we, are we to blame now? Is it since we started oh, no. this podcast, we've now had two relievers go I'll out. I'll put for that season, on us, man. 
P. Fairbanks RP one. Let's go. <laughs> if I have to, you know, if I'm taking a bet on October fifth as the season just ends, I'll say for now, Devin Williams. Yeah, that was my first I thought too. I, I say that with a question mark is who knows right. what the Brewers are going to do this offseason with Council mm. possibly being gone and maybe they trade Corbin Burns, like what direction they go after they got knocked out. But there's a lot of ways the Brewers can go. But for now, I'll say Devin Williams, but you can sense the hesitation in my voice. Yeah, I, I think Devin Williams could call. I think Yohan Duran with the the way that he's pitched and he's got mm. the the stuff. Um, that makes him a guy that can be like that. I honestly wouldn't count Edwin Diaz completely returning to form since it wasn't an arm injury that set him out last year. So there's definitely a good contingent. I think even some other stuff guys like Andres Munoz is, is up there. Um, even Josh Hader, wherever he ends up landing, maybe Baltimore. Um, and, and obviously mm-hmm. our boy Pete Fairbanks and and even uh, e- even Emmanuel Classe, who was one of the best relievers in baseball over the past few years led baseball in saves, but wasn't the same pitcher that he was in years past this past year, despite all the saves. So I, there's definitely a good contingent and I, and I love where relief pitching is at because it did seem for a while, like we were entering a dark age for bullpens and closers. And, and it, it seems mm-hmm. like 2023 turned things around, not only in terms yeah. of the, the top echelon guys, the upper echelon guys, the, the, best guys in baseball but also sort of the mid tier and the the lower tier where we, we've got some young guys that are coming up we've got some guys in uh that are in more of the mid tier that are still able to hold on to closer roles throughout the year so i think that's uh it's not only good for baseball and good for relievers in general but really good for our podcast yeah this was a great year for relievers and we talked about it a lot last year of just a constant swap in terms of committees and who's mm-hmm. going to take the jobs this year it felt a lot more stagnant which is probably good. it's good for us fancy players we kind of know who's going to be getting saved but we'll see what 2024 does bring in that extent hopefully we continue to get these good exciting arms that come up that we're talking about which i feel like we haven't had as much in recent years or maybe it's just because i'm talking about it on a weekly basis i'm just no- noticing those moves a bit more but We'll see where that takes us, but let's get into the postseason recaps. Obviously, we're a reliever show, so we'll if there's some reliever notes to um, to bring up during these series, we will. But we want to just address some highlights from the series. You know, give you guys some things to think about going into 2024 and the division series for a lot of those teams who are advancing. We'll go in chronological order, so we'll start with the lowest attended postseason series in recent memory with Oof. the Texas Rangers. <laughs> against the Tampa Bay Rays, where it did not go how I expected. I would have predicted that the Rays in this one, but the Texas Rangers picked up the sweep in pretty handily fashion. It was 4 nothing in Game 1, then 7-1 in Game 2. So Rangers just completely dominated, and they didn't have Max Scherzer to even make a start. We'll see if he's available for the division series. But any takeaways from this series for you guys? Rick, well, I guess we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, we'll keep a reliever uh, centric here. And I, I think the Rangers bullpen looked, um, you know, they did their job. It, it, it looks like they've established, uh, you know, the back end being Chapman to, to Leclerc in the ninth. So um, be interesting to see how that works against an Orioles lineup. That's, you know, been a little bit better swinging the bats than the Rays uh, have been. Um but you know, Leclerc's had a sneaky, really, really good season 
And I, I think it's just because of the, you know, he got hurt or right away and, you know, struggled at the beginning. And then we kind of forgot about him. But he, he's had a really nice season. Um, and, you know, someone to keep an eye on for the playoffs. And as well as I believe he's got a, uh, does he have a team option or I think he might be a free, potentially be a free agent this year as well. So there's another potential closer on the market that, you know, his his swing and miss stuff has always been there. It's it was you know showed itself again this season. You know ninety six percentile whiff rate. You know he 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 um yeah just it's a good time for him. This is kind of a you know the playoffs can be a little bit of a showcase for him because he kind of was you know forgotten by me and I've been one of Leclerc's biggest fans for a while. So you know it's great to see him just kind of hitting his stride at this at this time right now at the right moment. Yeah, it looks like. Leclerc will have a club option this off season. I'm trying to double check. It's not that see. much. It's like yeah, I was trying to check to see like how six, much it was. Six million or something. Six point yeah. two, six point three. Yeah, um, so that's not too bad. They might bring it back. Yeah, postseason closer. Yeah, you have to assume that the Rangers will pick that up, and I definitely think that's a great name to keep in mind going into next season is we were kind of expecting him to be the closer for his team until he got hurt and he has that pedigree. So I think Leclerc could be a great option. If he continues to prove himself during the stretch, if he has any postseason struggles, we know how that ultimately leads to some sort of uh, concerns going forward. So we'll see what he can do. I was pretty concerned with how they used him. I mean, in the first game, it made sense, you know, four run game, might as well go to your closer and like probably the most important game of the series. But then in game two, up by six, knowing that yeah. you're going to have to be back to it on Saturday, using your closer for a second day in a row. It really gave me the idea, the impression that they didn't really uh, trust their relievers. Um, they didn't trust the rest of their bullpen. So, so that's definitely something that w- was a little bit concerning because I'm like, what what happens next time that they, they go into a game where it's like they need to rest Leclerc. You can't use them in every single game that you're winning. Um, and I, I think the fact that they don't trust in the rest of their guys to, to even hold a six-run lead is a little bit concerning for me. They definitely got lucky that they had the absolute domination from Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Navaldi. I don't think they'll have that success against the Baltimore Orioles, but I could be wrong. We'll break down that series a bit more. Move over to the Tampa side of things. I know we didn't get to see our boy Pete Fairbanks, which is a darn shame coming for a yeah. save opportunity. Obviously, there's not too much you can take away from a series where you lost by four and six runs in terms of bullpen usage. But Jake, can you find any sort of positives or something to how we can talk about reliever wise for these rays? I mean, the bullpen only gave up two runs, and that they were both uh, given up by Colin Poche in the second game in the sixth inning. Um, other than that, that they were good. They did what the the Rays did, but I mean, it, it was mostly the offense that sort of let the team down. They scored one run across those two games, so it's not something where you can really say anything about the the bullpen sort of letting them down. But I, I wish we could have seen not only Fairbanks, but they have some really good relievers there. And I thought this might be the chance for a lot of fans that really hadn't seen this bullpen do what it does see Robert Stevenson and Pete Fairbanks really shut down batters at the back end of the game and and that didn't happen unfortunately but uh Robert Stevenson will now be a free agent and maybe some teams will get a little bit of a discount because he didn't get that 
uh, national recognition on the big stage. But yeah, uh, not much you can take from this matchup. Yeah, I, I was gonna say yeah, that's that's a good point on Stevenson now that he, you know, didn't really get to show off in the postseason. So yeah, there there shouldn't be there's no playoff tax as uh as they you know we call it. It's it should be could could be a steal for some team this off season. We've got probably put him on the Rays, put him on the Orioles as their closer. That would be good. We have about five months of off season content. We're gonna have to fill. I wonder how many times Rick brings up the name Robert Stevenson during that. (laughs) Maybe every episode. Could be be common. He's Rick's Pete Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah. And if he gets a closer job (laughs) next year, Rick will have him RP one by the end of his ranking. Oh no, he was he was the best reliever in the second half, so I can't really blame him. So let's move over to the next series, which was definitely closer. It was the Minnesota Twins sweeping the Toronto Blue Jays, winning their first postseason series since 2002, getting their first postseason win since 2004 in 18 games. So a great series, a lot of questionable base running by the Toronto Blue Jays and questionable managerial decisions in game two. But I know for our show, the first thing we want to cover is Oh my God, Johan Duran. We knew he was good and we knew he was filthy since we talk about him every week. But getting for him to show off on the national stage like that, he's going to earn himself some, a lot of new fans with uh, these past two games. Yeah, I mean, I was yesterday concerned. You know, he comes out, trainer comes out, you know, checking his finger. I'm like, oh, he's got a blister. He's not going to, they're going to pull him right here. And then, you know, worked on it. He stays in and had an absolutely electric inning, um, just showing all three of his pitches. Yeah. Those first two pitches were sailed over to the catcher. Oh, he's gone. He needs to get pulled right here. And he just, uh, yeah, continue. (laughs) Yeah. He, and yeah, after that, he just settled in like every pitch from that point on was like absolutely filthy and, you know, got a strikeout with all three of his pitches. Um, yeah, he's yeah, like Jake said, he's definitely in the conversation for, you know, RP one next season. Um, there's, you know, probably a little bit more consistency we, we want to see from him. But like, yeah, what he showed last night was the that's like the that's what we should come to expect from him, um, you know, moving forward. He's just an abs- He's just a beast out there. He's, it's it's ridiculous how the stuff he has. <laughs> yeah. And if there was any bullpen that was uh, like notable or, or was a storyline in the wildcard series, it was this twins bullpen, because I don't think there are many people that are casually watching the twins that don't live in or around Minnesota. Um, but they definitely showed out during the wildcard series. They've been sort of inconsistent all year, but they do have names in that bullpen that have really good stuff that aren't really well-known names. I mean, Brock Stewart has a sub one year array yes. across 27 innings on the year. He was uh, a solid in that game too. And he, even Cal Thiel, Caleb Thielbar, he pitched in both games. He had a, a really great strikeout minus walk rate throughout the whole season. And they have other guys there that they can trust with, guys that can go multiple innings like Chris Paddock and Kenta Maeda, who they didn't have to turn to Mm -hmm. in this one. But uh, Rick and I were talking before the podcast about Louis Varlin, and he might be the one that turned the most heads, even from guys that are big baseball nerds like us. Like Even bullpen guys were probably just like, whoa, Louis Varlin coming out of the bullpen out of nowhere after being a a pretty mid-starter, more of a Toby out of the rotation and coming out throwing gas out out of the bullpen. 
he looked great, and he might, like you said, be that pitcher who just raises everyone's eyebrows. I'm trying to figure out the comparison from recent memory of that starter who has to go to the pen and just becomes a huge part of the team's uh, playoff success. And some reason, I'm just blanking I mean, on names right now. There, there are names, none that had like as much success as Varland did before heading to the bullpen mm-hmm. or really jumped that big. But I think Brock Burke, he might not be the um, most notable name in that in that uh, area, but he was a starter in the past. Um, wasn't great, moved to the bullpen, and last year he was really good, and that was due to like a two to three mile per hour bump in velocity. So I think Brock Burke is the first one that comes to mind, but there's definitely a lot of other guys like that. But I mean, Louis Varland's increase in velocity is crazy. I looked this up when Rick, Rick and I were talking about it. He made his final start of the season on June 18th. He was averaging 94 and a half miles per hour with his four seamer. He went down to the minors, returned in September. And by the end of September, his final appearance of the season, September 28th, he was averaging 98 miles per hour. So he averaged, he added almost three and a half miles per hour to his fastball velocity from late June to late September. That is a massive jump. And I mean, like I said, this guy was a, uh, pretty like he was a solid starter but he wasn't somebody that's that's getting people excited but if he's doing this out of the bullpen where he's throwing 98 he's got a cutter a slider and a change up and those are all pitches that have had success this year the slider not so much the cutter was 30 percent csw this year and uh just even having four pitches at all is pretty impressive but this could be a guy yeah i mean between him and brock stewart i mean yeah. names that you didn't expect for the to be, you know, pitching high leverage, high leverage innings for the Twins, really. Um, yeah, they have they have some options now. And what if, you know, Chris Paddock as well, uh, he, you know, was able to get it up to 99 in a relief outing like that. That's another option for them as well. So, they, like I said, like their, their bullpen right now is pretty good, pretty well set up to... You know, to face it's it's going to be a tough Astros lineup, no no doubt. But um, this bullpen is not. You know, I think they we might have slept on them a little bit. I think I think seeing Stewart healthy is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really sure what we were going to get from him since he's been out since June, but he he looked pretty good this weekend. Um, or this week, so yeah, I, I think this this bullpen is going to be sneaky good, and it's going to the Astros. I'm telling you, that's going to be a tough series. I'm excited to see that one for sure. And their starting pitching can easily match yeah. up with the Astros pitching. So I'm definitely curious to see how, if it's all about the lineup and if Royce Lewis can continue to be a superhuman based off what he did mm-hmm. in game one. Speaking of, you mentioned Chris Paddock. It just made me think of, I feel like Rick's been calling for him to be a reliever since we've started like talking to each other and doing the show together. I feel like every so often I'd hear you, hear you bring up Paddock and whether he should get to the bullpen so i'm excited to see him do that and like you said they have their bullpen fully set up just based off how they were used so i'm definitely curious to see how that will play into effect especially in game one against houston where they're gonna have to go turn to a likely joe ryan starts since they mm-hmm. won't be able to get lopez and gray ready in time for that game over to the blue jay side of things i think the biggest bullpen usage uh, at least non-fantasy perspective was the Jose Brios getting pulled in the third inning after a leadoff walk to Royce Lewis after only 47 pitches and no runs, which uh, I'm very curious about that. But any 
takeaways in terms of for the Blue Jays? I know we've talked a lot about their bullpen throughout the year, but how it was used in these two games. Um, you know, it, you know, it wasn't surprising to see Romano come in early. They kind of bumped everyone up yesterday. That makes sense in a do or die game. Um, going to keep it close for as long as you can. Uh, Swan, I mean, I think everyone, their bullpen wasn't the problem. And, you know, for the most yeah. part, I mean, their pitching wasn't the problem either. They just couldn't score any runs. That's the, that whole, the Barrios decision was, race. yeah, the Barrios decision was obviously a head scratcher, but it doesn't really matter when you can't score a run anyway. So, um, yeah, the bullpen still looked good. I mean, Yimmy Garcia had a pretty uh, a decent outing too. I mean, his stuff looked pretty good. Um, yeah, and Swanson and Romano did their thing. So, yeah. They'll be returning. What Swanson and Romano will be back. Uh, Hicks will not be back. He's a free agent. So uh, next year, I mean, Chad Green will be there too. So they'll they'll have a pretty good bullpen ahead and into next year. They'll they'll be all right. They'll probably add some some pieces as well. Yeah, I mean, th- like I said, this is basically the same as the Rays, where the offense only scored one run across two games. So there's really nothing yeah. you can blame the bullpen on. The bullpen only allowed one run, and they threw a lot of innings in this series. So nothing you can really blame them for but that 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 move by schneider was i i think really really questionable um you watch like the game recap on mlb.com after that game and it was just they they were really focused on that because they knew that was one of the turning points of the game it, it just mm-hmm. seemed like he was itching to make the move which doesn't really make sense i mean i know it's like the second game they need to win it they they need to like keep the the runs low at, at all costs and i mean the blue jays didn't score so it wouldn't have mattered in the end but that, that was very questionable, especially because Brios was having success and and like itching to put somebody. I mean, Kikuchi's been great this year, but he has not been a reliever all year, so it was really yeah. really questionable. And it seemed like he was just he. It seemed like he was trying to do too much, which you know that, that can really get in your head, especially in uh for for a new manager who's in his, his first full season or his last year's first full season. I don't know. He he has I- not had uh, a lot of experience. Yeah, I would have been. It was just like I think the fact that he's just bringing Kikuchi into the middle of an inning is kind of weird when he's been a mm-hmm. starter all year. It's like mm-hmm. just go to if you really want the lefty matchup, just go to Mesa or, or even Cabrera. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, it's and it's also it's like you know, it's it's Max Kepler and Alex Kirilov. Kar- it's not you know Juan Soto and Bryce Harper hitting back to back. It's it's like yeah. If Barrios is gonna, you know, if you're if you're really scared about him facing those two guys when he's been dealing all day, his, his stuff was up across the board. Um, yeah, that's that's a concern. Yeah, it was a weird move all around. What what do you think was the biggest? I'm just taking off relievers for a second. The bigger base running blunder was it Vladimir Guerrero getting picked off at second base, or was it the Bobichet getting thrown out at the plate on him? I'll give him credit—a nice play, a heads-up play by Carlos Correa mm-hmm. to get the out, which was a bigger momentum shift for the game. I, I think it was Vlad getting picked off. I think Bichette—that was just like a yeah, that's a very you know you tip your cap to Correa for making a, yeah. like a, a big time play there. Um, and like, yeah, I, he had to do everything perfect on that. He had to get to the ball and transfer and throw, make a perfect throw to make, to get, to get Bichette out there. That was just a perfectly executed, you know, play by him. But yeah, Vlad, I mean, I don't know. There's a runner in front of you. There's, it's a three, it's a full count. There, there There's no need for you to be getting picked off the second base. You're scoring on a single anyway. Um, it, it just, cause you're going to, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just no, 
two outs full count. You can't be getting picked off there. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I, yeah. From from a win expectancy, it's probably Bo Bichette. Um, that I'm from from a pure numbers perspective, I'd expect that one to be the bigger win expectancy shift. But that uh, in terms of what was stupider and and what maybe uh changed the the vibes and and momentum there i think the the vlad one was was worse because they were in a in a spot to cash in multiple runs there and uh yeah i I think bachette made the right decision there because correa would have had to make a crazy play and he did so yeah just give him all the credit but yeah vladdy is not the type of guy that should be getting too far away from first base or second base in that in that case yep i i would agree with you guys we'll we'll see what the blue jays do this offseason they're another team that I could see them making the managerial shifts, especially with all the fire that Schneider's getting right now for that decision and even some of his own players kind of uh, yeah. talking about it. I saw Whit Merrifield quote just about the use of the bullpen and front office making decisions, things like that. So I could see the Blue Jays making a, a, a manager switch going into next season, but there'll be another team to keep a, a very close eye on this coming off season. That'll do it for the American League. We'll take a quick break. Hop on back to the National League, which at least one of the series had a probably had the most exciting series of the four, and then one just went exactly how we expected. But all that and more on in the pen. All right, we'll kick it over to the National League with what I thought was the most exciting of the four series that took place: the Arizona Diamondbacks, unexpectedly in my mind, but maybe. It got helped by the loss of uh, Brandon Woodruff for the Brewers, but they go into Milwaukee and sweep the Milwaukee Brewers in two games. We learned a lot about the Brew- the uh, Diamondbacks bullpen at first, just based on the Brandon Fott game one start where he only got into the third inning, which was the right move. They pulled him at the right time, but I was very curious to see how uh, Tori Lavola would deploy his bullpen and, we learned a lot when it comes to that. And Kevin Ginkle put himself on the map as well. We talk a lot about him. So and let's talk about the Diamondbacks bullpen quickly. One of the bigger question marks going into the postseason, really stepping up big time in this series. Yeah, they're, I mean, they passed their first test. Um, I was actually, yeah, I was just surprised that, you know, once, you know, Fack got pulled and you knew he wasn't going to go deep into the game. It was just... You know, when, when, who's going to be the, the weak link in this Diamondbacks bullpen? And they all held it together on Tuesday and, uh, getting big outs from, I mean, Miguel Castro, Ryan Thompson, all star Joe Mantiply, and then, yeah, Ginkle and Seawalt to finish it off. I mean, they've been leaning on those two, the back end, you know, for some time now. Um, but yeah, seeing guys like Thompson and then, yeah, Sal Frank on, uh, on Wednesday also getting some, getting a big out. So um, their bullpen is definitely, this isn't, I don't think how they scripted it. This is how they planned it would look like in October, the way it is, but uh, they came through at the right time. And it'll be interesting to see against the Dodgers lineup, you know, how, how they're going to, if they're going to make any changes here or what, what, um, you know, how they're going to get the ball to Ginkle and Seawald in the eighth and ninth. Yeah, that that's like the the middle of their bullpen is where there's uh, lots of uncertainty. I, I yeah. don't trust many of the guys there. Obviously, I trust Mantiply because he was an all star, um, <laughs> and Sal Frank has been uh, quietly really solid in his er, in the early parts of his MLB career. But there's not too many guys where I'm like, okay, this guy is uh, shut down for a, a middle inning. 
Um, and then so that puts a lot of pressure on Ginkle and, and Seawald. But I mean, the, the offense is really what surprised me here. I, I think the bullpen really didn't have too much pressure on it because the offense was able to come through and give them leads of, of at least three runs in each of those games. So that, that took the pressure off. And while they were still save opportunities, they were pretty, uh, Easy games to close out, and and I th- you mentioned uh, th- this being a test for me. This is like the the practice SAT, and now yeah. they'll have the the real SAT versus the Dodgers. Oof, I don't want to think about the SATs. That's too long ago. <laughs> I don't. If I had to take an SAT right now, I think I get the what? points to put my name on it. That might be all that uh that I would get. Uh, yeah, read a good essay. It depends what the topic is. I can I've written yeah. essays before. It's just a uh, we'll see, we'll see. But over to the Milwaukee side of things, and I agree. The offense for Arizona really made things easier for the bullpen, including we knew Corbin Carroll was good, but it's nice to just see more of him on the national stage, and we'll get to see him placing LA, where we're going to have even more fans really realize how good Corbin Carroll actually is. But over to the Brewers, we did see in Game One some. Definitely struggles from Devin Williams. He did not look like himself. Christian Walker had that big two-run double off him to really put that game out of reach for the Diamondbacks. Outside of that, obviously with two losses, again, you can't take a lot of out of it, but any standouts for the Milwaukee bullpen, especially with uh, considering what we saw from Abner Uribe, who we thought might be uh. a, a, a huge difference maker for the Brewers in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, Uribe was a little hot and hot and cold. The, the, the those two games um, showed the command issues that you know we've heard about from his my time in the minors, but also his just you know nasty stuff and ability also on display. I I think yeah, like I was you know after Devin Williams, I was like, why are they? Why is Williams still in the game? Thirty one pitches the first game. Like you got to pull him here. You're already down. You yeah, got to save him for the next. Yeah. yeah, you need him for game two, probably game three if you get there. Um, but yeah, he didn't look good. Um, good to see. I guess Elvis Paguero came back. That's that was good to see him throwing both games. Um, yeah, they really used their bullpen. They really used everyone in that bullpen. Um, would have been interesting to see game three. How many guys would be pitching on you know back to back to back days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Trevor McGill was probably the one who stood out to me the most. Uh-huh. He tossed an inning in game two and he struck out the side and that was sort of just a continuation of what he did in the second half this is a guy that's added a lot of velocity over the past couple of years 2021 he was averaging 96 last year he got it up to 98 now averaging 99 miles per hour with his fastball with a pretty decent curve that has a very very good swinging strike rate 22 and a half percent that's in the 95th percentile among curveballs by relievers and he throws really hard he gets a lot of strikeouts he's definitely a fly ball pitcher so that can hurt you but with a a FIP of 2.11 during the regular season I think this is a guy that quietly is going unnoticed because I mean he's he's on a team that has a lot of guys ahead of him so he wasn't getting a lot of holds but he pitched really well down the stretch he's got some incredible stuff that just keeps getting better Um, he will not be a a saves guy in in Milwaukee uh, in the in the near future, but definitely a guy that should be an option for holds next year. And, and I think uh, last year was the Tyler McGill year. This year we get the Trevor McGill year, which uh, maybe next year will be the, the true year for, for both of them. 
I'm all for it. I mean, as long as we get more more relievers to talk about, it makes sense. It was a fun fun series. I was brutal. I feel like I'm saying a lot, but again, a lot of question marks for them this off season. Especially Craig Council's contract is up. Do they bring him back? Does he go over to New York and reunite with David Stearns? What what'll happen out there if they do lose Craig Council? Do they decide to go in a different direction? There's all this talk about whether they would lose. Uh, Corbin Burns going into the next season. So Milwaukee, same thing as Toronto. I'm keeping a very close eye on them going into 2024. And the last team, the last series, it's going to be probably our quickest recap because it was just pure domination. Philadelphia Phillies swept the Miami Marlins. Did we really expect anything differently? That home run by Bryson Stott was epic. Have you seen the clip on Twitter of uh, yeah. without the... Oh my god, I got chills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt like I was getting chills from that. That was absolutely epic. Good for the Phillies. They look extremely dangerous. They're going to put up a heck of a fight against the Braves, and I can't wait to watch that even further. But since we are a bullpen pod, we got to start off with the Phillies bullpen. They had didn't have to use them a lot because, again, they got absolute dominance from Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. We got to see O'Brien Kirk running appeal appear. We got to see Craig Kimbrell close out game one. We saw Alvarado just beat Jose Alvarado. Anything you can really take away from the Phillies bullpen or guys that stood out to you in that over the that series? I mean, this this bullpen is going to be a problem as long as this Phillies team is in the playoffs. It's um like for other teams that I as long if Kimbrell is you know he he was a little shaky down the stretch. If he's if he's you know, got a little bit left in in the, in the tank for this playoff run. They, I, I mean, if the Phillies are you know have a lead in the fifth, sixth inning, I don't even against that Braves lineup. I it's going to be really. I mean, it's going to be the best. You know, it's going to be that bullpen versus the Braves lineup. It's going to be obviously fun baseball. Um, but yeah, between Soto, I mean, Gregory Soto's been lights out the last couple months. Um, you know, between him, Alvarado, and Strom from the left side, and then Kirk Ring now. Uh, Hoffman's been so good. Um, he got them a big, a big out the other day. So yeah, it's it's really this. This is still I think this is the bullpen, the best bullpen that's left in in um, the playoffs right now. Definitely, and uh, I think you mentioning mentioning Kimbrel, he's definitely an X factor in this bullpen. If if he's at his best, it really makes the bullpen absolutely shut down, and they may be relying on him a lot because he is one of their better right handed options, and it really deepens the yeah. bullpen to have him there in the ninth. And as you mentioned, he struggled down the stretch, but what they did is they took him out of the closer role. Uh, at the in the past couple in the last couple of weeks of the season, let Jose Alvarado take some uh, save opportunities, and that that allowed Kimbrel to take some time to get his confidence back. You know, get he he seems to be a guy that's really relies on on his mechanics being yeah. like perfectly intact, and so uh, hopefully those last couple of outings for him allowed him to get right right before the playoffs. And the fact that he was scoreless in his outing, he didn't strike anybody out, which is. You know, you can have a little bit of concern there, but I feel pretty confident that this bullpen is going to be pretty shut down and that that makes the the Marlins struggles really that surprising because I thought that would be one of the difference makers for the Marlins was that bullpen, but it really did not come through for them. Not that they I not that they would have won anyway, but I, I <laughs> thought maybe the bullpen would keep it closer. Yeah, so let's talk about that Marlin bullpen. Again, same thing we've been saying. Not a lot you can take away from an absolute 
blowout in terms, like you said, no offense for the Marlins, but anything you can take away, people who stood out from that bullpen over Visa two games. Yeah, I mean, Nardi giving up that grand slam to Stott, um, definitely was not expecting that at all. Um, you know, Robertson didn't, you know, he let up couple runs also but he, he had four strikeouts i guess um he'll be a free agent interesting to see why did you try and make him go three innings i don't I very, yeah I, I get they had to shut it down but I'm, i saw him come out for the third inning i'm like i've never seen and i was a yankee i'm a yankee fan so i've seen david yeah. robertson even when he was a young player coming up i don't know if he's ever had to go Born I, two innings in an outing before, even in the playoffs. I think that's definitely going to be one of those things that they're going to have to this offseason is finding some right-handed relievers, one or two guys at least that they can trust at the you know back end of the bullpen because they, the lefties are there, they're 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 all set, and you know for Nardi that was just you know I get you know great job by Stott jumping on a first pitch fastball, but also you know that's just some bad luck for Nardi. Um, but yeah, you know, Tanner Scott was fine. It just didn't matter <laughs> at the end of the day. Definitely. Yeah, he looked great from the mm-hmm. winning. And I, oh, who's the, who's the announcer? It was uh, why am I blanking on his name? It's the main ESPN boot, Carl Ravitch. She kind Ravitch, of yeah. had a good point of a. You maybe wonder why he didn't get into the game a little bit earlier when he came in in a seven nothing game, but he was disgusting yeah. in that one inning, which was a good disgusting. So it's good to see. Like we said, the series went exactly how we expected, but it sets it up for some exciting division series. So we'll take our final break and when we get back. We will preview the division series and we've been doing better with our predictions. So we're going to keep on the prediction train and predict the V's division series. Try and see who we expect to go to the championship series. So we'll preview, break it down, all that and more on in the pen. We're going to head to the American League Division Series first. Go series by series, finding some X factors, things that don't matter most, and get our prediction on the record, who will win, how many games, things like that. So we'll start off in Baltimore, where the Texas Rangers will be traveling to Baltimore. Again, a really good really good series. We talked about at the beginning of the show. No Felix Bautista for the Orioles, so we hope they have enough pitching. But Rick, let's start with you just... Break down what do you see being the X factor kind of, uh, you know, break down what you kind of expect from from this five, uh, hopefully a five game set. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a different matchup. I feel like this kind of this matchup's weird. It's different than the other three. Um, you know, on the surface, it looks like or at least I'm thinking we're going to get a more offensive series. Mm-hmm. Um with the starting pitching being a little bit more questionable. I I'm leaning Rangers right now. I think um, maybe it's because there's a little bit more experience um, overall. And, you know, I think, you know, game one's going to be interesting to see how they, how they piece things together on the mound. But I, I think that they, they can take this five game series. Their, their offense is red hot right now. Evan Carter is giving them an extra, an extra piece at the b- bottom of the lineup that, you know, now there's no easy outs in that, in that lineup. So um, I'll, I'll take the Rangers, but it's, it's a close, it's a really good series. I, I think, you know, the Orioles are going to need their bullpen to step up in in a big way and without Batista there. And 
I'm not sure who that's going to be outside of, you know, Kano or Kuliom. Um, you know, maybe Fujinami makes it, you know, has a huge series and becomes that seventh inning guy. But, you know, I, I can't picture their starters being able to go six or seven innings every game. Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest X factor for me or the the starters because the Rangers were definitely bailed out by two great starting pitching performances from Eovaldi and Jordan Montgomery. So they really didn't have to dive into their bullpen, which I yeah. consider to be the weak point of this team. They don't have a deep rotation, but they do have guys that they can trust in that third or fourth starter spot um, to at least eat a couple of innings and they can obviously pair like Andrew Heaney and Dane Dunning together, but neither team really has a standout rotation. And I think that's going to be huge. Whichever team can get really good starting pitching performances. We've already seen the Rangers able to do that. The Orioles, as Rick mentioned, very inexperienced. They don't really have guys with much postseason experience, if any. Um, so that'll definitely be big there. But I, I think to for me, and I'm not saying this just because it's a bullpen podcast, but that, Rangers bullpen, I think, is really going to be an X factor because if the Orioles can fight their way into that bullpen, not knock the starter out early and force the Rangers to turn to their middle innings guys, I think that's where it gets really tough for the Rangers to hold leads because they don't have a lot of guys that they can trust there. And I, and I think like once you have to start turning to Will Smith, who really struggled down the stretch or, or Raldis Chapman in a big situation, or you got, I don't know, Chris Stratton pitching uh, uh, and with the bases loaded or whatever in the fifth inning, I, I think it, it starts to get really questionable. And the, the Orioles aren't, aren't without uh, their own question marks in the bullpen, but I, I do trust them a little bit more. Um, that being said, I was a guy who was selecting the Orioles pretty much unanimous, unanimously, no matter who they face, to make the ALCS with a shot at making the World Series. But a lot of that hinged on Felix Bautista being available. And without him, I think they're a significantly weaker team, especially in the bullpen, one of the key parts in, in being a good baseball team. And I, I think the experience and after seeing the Rangers offense just continue to be super strong all year and with Evan Carter, like Rick said, being like just cleaning up that lineup from the bottom, that lineup is really hard to take down. And, and the fact that the Orioles pitching staff is, is one of their weaker points, as I mentioned, that's an X factor for them. I, I think the Rangers are going to come up, kind of come out on top here. They got the, uh, they got the momentum. I'm very curious. The Rangers will get Max Scherzer back. That could help to yeah. assuage some of those pitching concerns. But then again, even if he does come back, how much can you really expect from Max Scherzer, his first start back from from an injury? So I'm curious to do that. I think completely this may be the series that the bullpens are going to be the biggest X factor because, like you said, none of them, they're both, there's a lot of question marks out there. So it's going to be a, a huge factor there. Right now, I'm still leaning the Orioles just for... I do like their lineup a little bit better. I'm curious who they end up starting game one. Will it be Kyle Bradish? Will it be a Grayson Rodriguez? Do they go for some, try and find some sort of veteran presence there? I, that's going to be a big question mark there. And same thing with the Rangers. After you won't, you'll likely not have Avaldi or Montgomery ready to go for game one. So who does Bruce Bochy turn to in that scenario? I don't think either has been announced yet. So it's going to be a, a Real good series. I think this is one that could go five. I'll, I'll even say I'll say Orioles will win this one in five. I think they match up pretty evenly, but um, I am looking forward to see Camden Yard is going to be rocking. That's going to be a lot of fun. Hmm. So, um, so I think you guys both took Texas, if I heard correctly. So I'll stay on the Valone Island and go with the Orioles. 
So we'll move over to the other American League series, which could be just as exciting. We saw a lot from these Minnesota Twins in the first round. They'll travel to Houston to face a team that everyone loves to hate in the Houston Astros. So, Jake, let's kick it off with you this time. Break down some of the X factors you see in this series, something that you're, you know, where you're leaning and what kind of expectations you have for these two teams. Sure. I I think one of the biggest X factors is probably going to be some of the big guys in the Twins lineup because they were a team that wasn't super great offensively during the season, but they showed in the wildcard series that they could still hit the ball pretty well. And the whole Carlos Correa versus his former team in the Astros in the playoffs, I think that's going to be a a bit overdone, especially I feel like ESPN's not going to shut up about that for (laughs) probably the entirety of the series. Um, But he is an X factor in in and of himself, even without facing the Astros, because he is a guy that's had a lot of postseason success and he sort of, is a guy in that lineup that is, if he does come alive, makes that lineup a lot deeper. And I think the other guy is Royce Lewis. Obviously, you have a bunch of role players in that lineup, but Royce Lewis has proven that he is a guy made for the big moments. He is a clutch hitter. He's got a lot of power. Big grand slam guy and homered in his first two postseason at-bats. Really crazy. So, So I think both of those guys are probably maybe the biggest X factors in the whole series because the Astros are such a well-built team uh, from top to bottom in the lineup. And like quietly, they have some guys that might be underrated. I, I was mentioning this to Rick beforehand, but like you see Jose Abreu batting fifth in that lineup and you're just like, okay, well, it probably gets easier from there. And then you realize, oh wait, Jose Abreu is like a former MVP. This is a guy that with his previous track record as one of the best players in baseball he could turn it on at any moment and then that makes the rest of the lineup that much deeper Michael Brantley was great when he played Chaz McCormick quietly had a great season Jeremy Pena was last year's ALCS and World Series MVP and that doesn't even count Yaner Diaz and Mauricio Dubon off the bench and they've got a rotation where they can count on like six different guys that they can count on out of the rotation with one of the best bullpens in baseball and so I I think there's really no question marks for them and then for the twins it's just They've got starters they can trust. They've got a bullpen that they've proven can be really electric and shut down teams. So I think the the only thing that leaves is the Twins lineup being able to hit against a, a really solid Astros pitching staff. But, oh, I guess I have to make a decision. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going Astros. Yeah, um, I think you nailed it pretty much. It's, it's You can definitely make a case that, you know, pitching-wise, these two teams are even. Let's just say, let's just for you know hypothetically say that. Uh, then it comes down to the lineups, and yeah, this Astros lineup got you know healthy at the right time, and um, one through eight is you know one of the best one through eights you're going to see in the playoffs right now. Um, especially you know given their their you know I guess history and experience um, in playoff games. So, um, I wanted to take the Twins, I did, but I just think that. You know the twins lineup, like yeah, like basically exactly what Jake said. It's it's you're gonna need like a big performance from Correa and someone else. Uh, you're gonna have to have guys step up, and I think just looking at the lineups, I'm, I'm it's more comfortable taking the the Astros um, with their experience and you know home field advantage is definitely gonna play a factor into it as well. Yeah, I'm gonna lean the Astros as well. Unfortunately, as much as I'd want to pick the Twins, I think. They definitely match up better than Toronto would against yes. these, uh, these Astros. So we got the, the best matchup. Their pitching will keep it, make a difference. Um, 
I want to see Duran in some more big moments just to mm-hmm. keep the talk on Twitter going and keep all the uh, talking our Discord going about how electric he really is. But the Astros, we we talk a lot about their bullpen too. They don't have, they don't have a lot of slouches back there as well. Ryan Presley is back to being his pretty good self, and you know you have a Bray, you have Stanek, you have Montero. It's a lot of good guys that Dusty Baker can go to in big situations. So while they after Verlander, they have some more question marks. I know Fernando Valdez has been fine; he struggled a bit down the stretch. They'll manage their way through their bullpen and still be able to keep this game close against a, an Ash, a, a twin line, excuse me, that outside of Royce Lewis does have some, like you said, a lot of guys who are going to need to step up to match up against those Astros bats. So for all those reasons, mm. I'm going to go Astros as well, but I think this is another one. I'll say Astros in four, but could easily see it going to a fifth game. I think in just uh, like talking about that, the twins lineup needing to, to, to kind of have someone step up. I think, one of those lefties in that lineup needs to step up because, you know, the Astros only have Framber as their only lefty. Um, so you're yeah, going to see... doesn't have any lefties. Yeah, it says Bennett Souza right now, but I don't know if he makes the postseason roster. I would doubt it. Um, Even if he does, you really think Dusty Baker's going to turn to Bennett Souza? <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's not going to get any significant innings. So, yeah, it's get the, those, you know... Walner, Kepler, Kirilov. I mean, those three guys, uh, one of them has to kind of have a big series, I think, for them to, to have a chance. Yeah, or even Julian. He could be a good, a good option. Yeah, right. Julian's, yeah. Yep. Yep. I love yep. that. So. All right, let's go over to the National League. And this is when we could probably do a whole show trying to break down this series because this is going to be divisional matchups, just electric and I'm very excited to watch this. The Philadelphia Phillies travel to Atlanta in what probably should be the National League Championship Series. I wish we can get seven games between these two teams. I think these are definitely the two best teams in the National League and you can make a good case to two best teams in Mm -hmm. baseball right now. And they're only facing off in a five-game series. (laughs) So that's extremely unfortunate. So let's break it down. Where are you guys leaning? Because I know we could easily make a case for either of those two too. Yeah, I know. This is this is whatever, you know, whoever wins this series is going to win the World Series, in my opinion. This is going to be, yeah, it would be nice to see a seven-game series here. Be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, both these teams are built for, for the playoffs right now. Um, you know, I, I never thought that this, Phil- I never thought the Phillies would be like this this fun of a team to, to watch and like root for. I never thought I'd ever see that, but um this this team is I I think there's just something about them, um, getting timely hits. Their pitching has you know been been great. Um, there's really nothing. I mean, I think the X factor here is starting pitching health for for the Braves. I, I think if you know if they get big starts from Freed and Morton, and you know I think that they have a chance to stay with a. To, to win this series i but you know there's concerns that they haven't you know that they both left their last starts you know they haven't pitched since um and yeah it's you know just a blister and you know everything seems manageable but it's still you, you, you never know there could be some rust as well and you know if you just have to shake off rust you know just if, if it's one game you know one game you know, if he freeze lost in that first game that's in game two that you know 
that could be the series right there in a five game series. So, um, you know, I think on the other side, Ranger Suarez is going to have to have a big, he's going to have to have at least one good start out of his two that he's slotted to get. And then, you know, hopefully Wheeler and Nola can be who they are, you know, their typical ace self. So, you know, again, we talked about the Phillies bullpen. I think the Phillies bullpen is the best bullpen in the playoffs still. So that I think is a little bit better than the Braves who, I mean, AJ Minter and Iglesias are great at the back end, but I think, you know, getting to them could be an issue um, depending on, you know, how their starters work. And if, 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 you know, Freed and Morton aren't able to go six or seven innings, then there's, there's some issues, I think, getting the ball to Minter and Iglesias. So, I think that could be another, you know, kind of a gap for the Phillies to, to break the bats open and, you know, win some of these games. So I, I think just top to bottom, the Phillies are built better right now for a, for a playoff run. And I, I, that's why I think they're, they're going to win the series and probably the world series. If, if they, you know, everything breaks, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm on the same page, basically across the board. There X factors for me are definitely like the back end of each of these rotations. Wheeler and Nola, definitely guys you can trust, but outside of that, don't have a lot of trust in Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker, but they like, yeah. that's what makes them X factors. Cause they, they could go really either way with those guys. And you mentioned both Charlie Morton and Max Fried having not pitched in a while. And I think that sets the Braves back quite a bit. Obviously Spencer Strider, Maybe the best option you can turn to in a playoff game. He's sometimes 50-50, whether he's going to be a blow-up or a 14-strikeout complete game shutout. Um, He's incredible, but you know, relying on guys like Max Fried and and Charlie Morton, who are usually great, but in this situation could be uh, pretty bad, especially if one of those guys is unable to pitch. Then you're turning to Bryce Elder or or Smith Shaver or Winans or or Dodd, whoever you end up turning to in that third game, if you're unable to get Morton or Fried back. And uh, that really is a a step down from, from the options that they were turning to for most of the regular season. And I think that's, that's a big difference maker there. Obviously both of these teams Great bullpens, killer lineups. Um, Phillies, bull- Phillies lineup right now is probably one of the only lineups alongside the Braves that can compete with, or alongside the Rangers that can compete with the Braves um, in terms of hitting talent. But I think the the Phillies have the bullpen to be able to shut down a Braves lineup like that. And they have a couple of the aces that uh, should be able to eat some innings and, and get into that bullpen with uh, the, the game still close. And I, this is going to be a super exciting series. I think this is yeah. going to be the one that's going to be the most fun to watch. But I, I, I'm on the same page I, I think i've i've predicted the phillies winning the world series in in both of my podcasts where i predicted the postseason and uh with the way that they played in that first series it only gave me more confidence to select them here against the braves did they face each other last year i think yeah i think the phillies did knock them out in the division yeah. series if i'm well there it is and now the phillies are i mean you could say the braves are better but i, I think the phillies i mean with trey turner they 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 seem to be better and their their bullpen's a lot better i, I think mm-hmm. they're they're really going to be tough to stop I said the Braves at the beginning of the postseason, so I'm going to stick with it and save the Braves, but I can definitely say it's with less confidence than I was at the beginning of the season or the beginning of the postseason. The Phillies look that good. And yes, this is against the Marlins. It went exactly how we expected, but it's going to be, we've said a bunch of times, the best series. I can't wait to watch this. I will definitely, if I had to watch one of these series, it's, I don't think any of us could argue it's going to be this one. And, they're going to yeah. play close. I agree with Rick, what he said at the beginning of this series. Whoever wins this is going to win the World Series. 
I definitely do think that it's the two best teams left in the playoffs facing off right now. So I will definitely am excited to see how they they match up. But we have to wrap up on the final series, which I know Jake has a strong opinion on who he wants to win, but we'll see if he can separate fandom from a heart from brain going into this. But the Arizona Diamondbacks will travel to Los Angeles, take on the Dodgers who have a lot of question marks with their rotation as well and have announced that Clayton Kershaw, as we probably expected, will get the ball in game one, but who gets it in game two and three? Eh, we really don't know. So well, let's break down this final NL West series uh, two for the divisional round and uh, see where we fall there. You go, Jake. Jake, you got the first, you got the first dips of <laughs> ripping the Dodgers apart. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I'll I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I'll just start with the Dodgers. Um, they are not the team that they have been in years past, but it is easy to forget how good of a team that they they are. I mean, they just won a hundred games again and very quietly. So this was a team that I uh, bold predicted would miss the postseason this year, which uh, that was more of a dream than it was a prediction, um, and it did not come to fruition. But it, it's easy to forget how good this team is because obviously you think of Mookie Betts, but you think of all the guys that they lost, and you're just like, oh man, uh, the, the rotation is not what it once was. The bullpen has lost so many guys. Uh, we, the the lineup isn't as deep as it used to be. Um, and still, you look at the top of it, and it's two of the best players in the National League, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. It's backed up by Will Smith, Max Muncy, and J.D. Martinez. And then they can just platoon their way to very solid production in the outfield with uh, Jason Hayward, Outman, Peralta, uh, Rosario, Taylor, and Hernandez. And uh, that's, that's a very solid lineup, but it's also a flawed lineup. I think there's definitely ways to pitch around it. Um, but I think the, the clear... Uh, place where where they struggle is in that rotation um obviously you can you can trust kershaw but this is a guy that's notoriously struggled in in the in the postseason um there are countless numbers of pictures of clayton kershaw sulking or or (laughs) just with his head in his hands after a after a big playoff loss so he's famous for that and then even after him one of the best pitchers of all time really falls downhill lance lynn giving up a lot of homers this year bobby miller great this year but he's very unproven he's only 24 and ryan pepio also had a lot of success this year zero postseason experience and uh while the bullpen is very solid they got some guys with stuff there's nobody that really blows you away evan phillips has been great all year and i'm sure he'll be shut down in the postseason uh bruce argrado throws hard but there are there are flaws in his game he doesn't get strikeouts and then the rest of that bullpen are guys that aren't known by casual fans but that doesn't mean they're not good but that that can sometimes lead to either guys not being able to handle big situations or like not having the experience or sort of having pitched above their means during the regular season so there are definitely flaws in this roster and and saying that I go and I compare it to the Diamondbacks lineup who surprised me offensively I thought that's where they would struggle and they hit really well versus the Brewers Um, but it's not really a lineup that I trust to have success uh, even against a, a worse uh, pitching staff in LA. And I think they also have the same problem in the rotation. Rick mentioned before the podcast that Brandon fought starting in game one was sort of a, a blessing for them because it allows them to turn to Merrill Kelly in game one and then back to Zach Gallen in game two, because they'll get an extra day of rest as a NLDS team um, just because of scheduling there. So they're sort of set up there, but, they will have to turn to Brandon Fott at some point, and that could be a pivotal game. And we really didn't get to see 
the middle of this bullpen pitch in really many stressful situations. So as much as it pains me, I will have to select the Dodgers just because you know you can never count them out. But that'll just make it so much more uh, satisfying when they do get knocked out in the NLCS by the Phillies. Yeah, a lot of good points. Um, I do think that the the pitching staff, the the questions and the the starters for the Dodgers, I think, is a huge. Uh, it's going to be a huge difference. It's not even just like, yeah, we know Kershaw struggles in the postseason, but he's also not the same Clayton Kershaw that he once was. He's dealing with some. He's, he hasn't. He's dealing with something. Hasn't pitched in a while. Uh, so that's game. That's your game one starter. How many innings can he go? We'll see. Uh, Bobby Miller never pitched in a play- playoff game in his life. Um, he's been pretty good this year, but there's been some inconsistencies he's had. He hasn't been, you know, hasn't been perfect. He's not uh, Walker Bueller. He's, he's, you know, the, I think that as your number two starter, that's really shaky. That's really a concern, especially when he's going to be going up against Zach Gallen. Um, and, you know, you know, Miller would be if, if this goes to five games, Miller's pitching. He's starting game two and five. So uh, rarely, you know, versus Gallon. That's that's uh, I, I think that leans Diamondbacks. So, um, yeah. And then Lance Lynn has been a little bit better with the Dodgers. But most of if you look at his, you know, most of his good starts have come against really bad teams. And yeah, like this Diamondbacks lineup may, might not scare people looking at it on paper. But I mean. You know, Christian Walker is one of the most underrated hitters in baseball. Um, Marte and Carroll at the top have been ha- have had unbelievable seasons. Um, Gurriel, if I mean Gurriel, might be that X factor where, if, you know, he's been really struggling lately. If he can figure it out and get going this series, gives him an extra, you know, an extra option at the middle back end of that lineup. I think that's that can be a difference maker. Same with Alex Thomas. You're giving me you're giving me so much hope. (laughs) It's it's really bad for my mental health. (laughs) I I I really like. I'm taking the I'm taking the Diamondbacks here. I I I think you know having two games. You know, you know Merrill Kelly versus Clayton Kershaw. Like at the beginning of the year or last year, we we said that that would be more of a toss up than you know than a Kershaw, you know, dominant, dominating star, I, I think we'd be crazy. But I, I think Merrill Car- Kelly, where he is and where Kershaw is right now, I think that's pretty even. And you win one of those games and then you just have to, you know, take the two gallon games. I think this is a big series for Zach Gallon. He didn't look great against Milwaukee. He kind of he settled in eventually, but uh, this is, you know, for his legacy, this kind of could be a, like a legacy, you know, series for him. Um against a division rival and then yeah the brandon fat game i don't know that anything can happen there because lance lynn's on the other side of it too so um i, I think you know that's going to be one member of the diamondbacks you know that you know either guriel or alec thomas having a big series and then you know making sure that their bullpen the diamondbacks bullpen has to be not completely t- terrible they i mean they played they looked really good against the brewers but i mean the brewers lineup never really scared me or anyone i don't think so you know this. This obviously this Dodgers lineup's so another you know giant with uh the with Betts and Freeman and Muncie and you know Will Smith. So I I'll, I'll take I'm taking the Diamondbacks. I think it goes five games, and I I think they they find a way to win. Love it. I'm, I absolutely yeah. love it. I, I would love it for chaos. And I'm a <laughs> guy. I'm a fan of you know seeing different teams, unless it's the Atlanta Braves, because I predicted them. 
and the Astros because I predicted them, but but I'd be fine with being wrong for on the Astros' sake at least. But I'm going to take Dodgers. Just you hope that somebody, one of those starters, is going to have to fully step up. You, it was a three game set, so you can deplete your bullpen like you do it, but you can't. You can't have that happen in a five game set. I don't think it will. Zach Allen will probably, or we hope he comes out and pitches like himself. Merrill Kelly's pitched in the WBC, so he's got some. <laughs> A higher level experience where he can get eat some innings and probably get through six against these Dodgers. So I think they can put up a, a little bit of a fight against them. I think the Brewers probably would have matched up better just based on the having a Corbin Burns and a Freddie Peralta and a one, two that matches up really well, but the Diamondbacks will put up a fight, but it's hard to go against the experience of the Dodgers. So I will take the Dodgers in probably four, but I'm excited to see, and it's divisional matchups, so that always adds a little extra level of intrigue mm-hmm. to these series. So I can't wait to see how that and all the series go. But it'll be a definitely a, a fun series. It might be the one I'm. I don't want to say I'm least interested in because I'm interested in all four, but just considering how much closer I feel like the other series are, I feel like this one could sneak up on some people. Yeah, it could be a fun one too. It's like at least for us on the East Coast, it's that late night one. So. It's um. I think the, I'm guessing they'll have the they'll be the later game every night they're playing. So, you know, it might not get as many views, but yeah, I think it could be. I think it's going to be a really. I think all these series have potential to be like fun five games series. Yeah. I think there's. I, I yeah. would not. There's no surprises here. Like if any one of these teams wins, it's not a surprise. Unlike last series, like yeah, if the Marlins beat the Phillies, that that would have been an absolute shock. Obviously, mm-hmm. so. The, the, these these series are all going to be. I think. I think there's there's each team's got a chance. I forget what podcast I was listening to, but they mentioned for these post series that it's the most unpredictable one because every team's flawed in some. That's the thing. Some yeah. way, the Braves, yeah. who we think of these unbeatable teams, you guys mentioned the starting Rotation. pitching concerns. The, yeah. And the bullpen, some the Phillies, we are dominant, but they're playing the Braves, so they can easily get <laughs> get knocked out. So it's going to be a big great fun. series. As I'm, you know, makes for fun content for us, and I yep. definitely can't wait to see how that goes. But we're going to wrap up here on this episode of In the Pen. As always, if you want to interact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at In the Pen Pod, or you can join the Pitcherless Discord by joining PL Plus. We have a lot of interaction throughout the postseason in the baseball general chat we'll be having some live just banter about the playoff series i'm sure nick's going to be doing some content on playback.tv for some live streaming just community watching conversing about the postseason series so a lot of exciting times to, to be a baseball fan even with our teams not in it but i'm sure all three of us will be glued into these next couple of days and i'm very excited to kick things off this weekend yeah, for sure. And you know, we'll be back um we'll be back to talking about relievers at some point, you know, once the once the postseason uh winds down. But yeah, we'll you know, I'll I'll be working on some of uh, my initial twenty twenty four reliever ranks that hopefully be out by the end of the month. So, you know, once those get out and once the postseason starts slowing down, yeah, we'll we'll get back to the reliever talk. But for now it's fun to just talk, you know, kind of get outside of that and talk actual, you know, full full baseball spectrum on games and these fun playoff series. Yeah. I'm sure Jake and I won't have any objections to any of those uh, early ranks. So we'll have a full, a lot of fun. We are in the off season schedule now, so we will be coming out 
it won't be, be as weekly as it was during the regular season, but every other week you'll still get your reliever talk from the three of us, and we're excited to bring you all that off-season content going forward. So, like I said, that'll do it for this episode of In the Pen. I am Callan, joined as always with Jake and Rick. Enjoy the Division Series, and we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks.